Right. We're in Philippians chapter 3, as we know. While we're turning there, um, I want us to remember a little bit of uh, last week. Jake preached to us a warning, um, a warning that we as a church would not get distracted uh, by anything other than Christ, that we wouldn't put our hope into anything other than Christ. So we're going to read here, um, Philippians chapter 3. I'm just going to read... Um, starting in verse 1 through 11. So in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and a safeguard for you. Watch out for dogs, watch out for the evil workers, and watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Though I have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we have a really big passage tonight, but um, I think it's going to be a really good passage. And all of it, uh, especially, well, all of it builds off verse 3 of uh, chapter 3 that Jake preached to us last week. So that verse, verse 3, said, For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God uh, and boast in Jesus Christ. And then it continues. So as he continues here in verse 4, we're understanding that we are what he is calling the circumcision. Paul is addressing a group of people who believe that you must have an extra thing done in order to be a Christian. You can't just have faith in Christ. You must have faith in Christ and do this. All right, we're, I think, going to see in tonight's passage how familiar that is to us, how, uh, how as Paul goes into a, a description of himself, we will be able to see that we often... Uh, Though not quite as excellently done as Paul, we often add things that we think will help us be saved. See, see, Paul makes an argument here. He's, he's making an argument saying, if anyone, if absolutely anyone could be saved based on the law, be saved based on something else other than the gospel, it's me because of this. And so let's read this. Let's hear what Paul has to say about himself, saying, if there was anyone out there who could be saved by himself, who could save himself, it was me. This is why he says it. He says, 
I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee. So we need to pause for a moment and try to understand what this means. This is really significant. Us as modern day Americans really miss out on a lot of the importance of this verse. Though in just a moment, I'll show you how we can draw a parallel to today. But the importance of the verse, he was saying he was circumcised on the eighth day. That doesn't happen just to anyone. This meant that Paul was at least of a social class, a social standing high enough to where his parents could take him to the temple, probably pay X amount of money to the priest so that way he could have this done to him on the very specific day that the law commands that it be done, the eighth day of his life. He is of the people of Israel. As he, the, the word people here, he's not just saying, oh yeah, and I'm from Israel. I'm, I'm from Jerusalem. No, he's, he's saying, I am a pure-blooded Israelite. There is no other people part of my family. You can draw my family line straight back to Abraham and see that I am an Israelite. In fact, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's trying to make a point here. He's not just a Greek Hebrew, one who is of, the, of a Greek mindset where he is, as they call it, a Hellenist. He, he doesn't just completely buy into Greek culture yet still attend the temple. No, he is rejecting Greek culture and fully embracing being a Hebrew. Now, does that mean anything to us? Not necessarily, but we're trying to get the point here that Paul is making in his entire argument is that this is, uh, if anyone could keep the law, it's him. And he keeps going. And as to the law, when it comes to actually knowing the law, knowing exactly what the word of God says, I'm a Pharisee. He has reached a doctorate status level of understanding the Hebrew law. If you were to ask him, hey, Paul, what does it say in Exodus, you know, 20? He would just recite it. He would know it. He knows all of it, in and out. These are his credentials, you could say, and they are spectacular. They're phenomenal. Um, And as to passion, as to zeal, he says, I was a persecutor of the church. I persecuted the Christians because they are these small, no-name people claiming to follow the Messiah. And I'm going to go after them because I am the Hebrew of Hebrews and I am a Pharisee and I will keep the law and I will do just as it says. And anyone else who comes to try and say that there's another way, we're going to, we're going to kill them. We're going to persecute them. And so he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. When it comes down to the step-by-step, hey, make sure you don't do any work on Sunday. In fact, don't just do any, don't do any work on Sunday. Uh, did your uh, donkey fall in a pit? You probably shouldn't help that out. Uh, I'm actually not even going to cook anything on Sunday. I'm going to make sure I have it ready by Saturday. I'm kind of making this an Americanized version here. They all wouldn't have done anything on Saturday. But the point is, he's saying, under righteousness, under the law, I was blameless. In fact, I built up all these other things that I'm also going to try to keep. And he did it. But he says in verse 7, 
Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. All of that, all of the keeping of the law, all the doing this and that and the other, it doesn't matter. He counts it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Now, before I go further, I do want to pause and help us think about this as 2,000 and about to be 18 Americans. Like, what does it mean? Um, so imagine this person, and um, it, it won't be very hard. So this individual, uh, the day he was born, his parents rejoiced and praised God. They thanked the Lord for the birth of their new son. A couple weeks later, their new son was in the nursery of the church. He was probably the cutest kid there. Every new baby is like the cutest kid there. He continued to grow up. He was in Sunday school from as early as he remembers. In fact, the earliest memory that he has is in Sunday school. He remembers the little, the the half door that happens at, at the nursery or at the Sunday school gate where, you know, your parents can walk up but the kids still can't get out. He remembers that as one of his earliest memories and understanding, why would they make a door like that? In fact, this boy continues to grow and he looks back and says, man, I'm, I'm in sixth grade. I've been to 14 vacation Bible schools. Uh, that's like two a summer. This kid continues to grow up. He was in the youth choir. Eventually, he led the youth choir. This kid, he grew up and then he uh, watched as his father was ordained. And that was really cool. And so his parents continued to teach the word of God to him. And then he continued to grow up and he goes to college and he attended college Bible study. He eventually started teaching Bible study as he was in college. He grows up some more, he gets married, has a child, becomes a deacon of his own in the church, continues to serve. And then, as he is an old man, And he looks down on his grandchildren, his children. He sees them all and is teaching them uh, the word of the Lord. At least um, he thinks he is. He's at least teaching them, hey, you need to be in church every time the doors are open. You need to make sure that uh, whenever there's a VBS, you're sending your kid. And you need to make sure that uh, you're going to all the college Bible studies. Even if you can't make it to church, then you need to make sure you do X and Y and Z. Because that is how... You are a good Baptist. And that's how you do X and Y and Z. Now, this person, his credentials as a Baptist are excellent. You know, he can look back. His daddy was a preacher. His uncle was probably ordained. And he's been in church every time he can ever remember. And as far as his passion, he went to, you know, three mission trips. He argued that's a, a bad term that I'm trying to use, but he, he made sure he defended his belief in God against anyone who tried to oppose it. He was relentless in saying that, yeah, I believe in God. But at the end of the day, this person, he trusted in all of that and not in the saving work of Christ. He spent so much time, this imaginary Baptist individual that none of us have ever been like in our lives. He spent so much time trying to make it to all the right places and do all the right things to look like a good Baptist that he missed the mark and he didn't see Christ. 
And you see, so all of that gain that this Baptist had, whatever gain that he thought he had, it was lost and it was nothing at the judgment seat of God. And that, that is what Paul is trying to tell us here. That's what Paul is trying to teach us in 5 and 6 and then, in, and then starting in 7. That he had every credential to be a good Christian. He had every credential to be a good Jewish believer. But what he didn't have, up until he tells us here, he didn't have Christ. And so, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as a loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To have every accolade to have every praise and every sense of ad- admiration from your peers about how often you go to church and how great of a churchman you are and how great of a person you are. To have all of that is nothing if you don't have Christ. It is nothing. And he keeps going, for his, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. So, so, so I gave you this ideal Baptist. I gave you this picture of an ideal Baptist, right? And I want, I want to ask you and just think about it. Have you ever found yourself in the position of that ideal Baptist, finding yourself trying and striving after getting your check mark for the week? Because I have. In fact, I'm prone to that. I'm habitually and chronically prone to doing that. I, I have to fight it and I need a, a text like this to tell me it is worthless. And so I hope you'll hear me now as I say that one more time. All of that is worthless if we are not looking to Jesus. If we're not looking at him and for his sake, living. And so he's, again, he writes, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And this phrase, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish, I, I think it's interesting. Because he's considering all the verses that we just read He has all that in mind, all of this years of training, all of this heritage and credentials. He says he suffered the loss of it, but it's for a a purpose. We see here Paul's mindset is telling us none of that matters. Your whole purpose in life, everything, absolutely everything you do, the only reason you go to church, the only reason you're reading your Bible, is that we may know Christ, that we may gain Christ, is what he says, and be found in him. I want to put that as like, if, you're, if you would, in my mind, I imagine things this way, that's like the heading of everything else for the rest of this passage. All of this is in order that I might gain Christ and, I, and, and that I might be found in him. The word found uh, I, I'm reminded of a passage in Philippians 2 that we heard a couple um, 
of weeks ago, 2, uh, 5 through 11. It, it tells us, have this mind about you. And that mind is a, is a mind of uh, humility, um, selflessness, and, and giving. He's telling us in like caring for others. He says, have this mind about you. which is yours in Christ Jesus. So have that mind that's given to you from Christ Jesus, who, so Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and gave himself up and taking on the form of a, or being found in human form, he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And so being found, Paul uses this exact same word in the exact same way. Paul's saying that I want to be found in him the same way that Christ was found as a human. And how was he found? He was found in obedience. And so I think what Paul is trying to tell us is that all of that is rubbish. All of that doesn't mean anything. And I have sacrificed it all so that way I might gain Christ and I might be found in him, that I might be found in obedience to him. This, this kind of like raises an alarm to me because I just got done saying how all of the obedience of this ideal Baptist and all the obedience of Paul doesn't mean anything. And yet he's writing that he wants, to be, he wants to know Christ. He wants to gain Christ and be found in him in a way in which Jesus was found, which is obedience. And so he keeps writing. And so he, he tells us about how this being found comes about. So not, ha- this is verse nine, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith. Now, I, this is interesting. The, the, it's inter- <laughs> he says, I don't want the righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And this brings up a point about the law and about the gospel. You see, he, he can't have a righteousness of his own. The, the law does a couple of things, guys. The just think with me here about some purposes the, or some, the, the nature of or the, the works of the law. Like what does it actually do? Can Paul even, would he even be able to find a righteousness on his own? There's a, a, a book by, his name is Stephen H. Ting. It's called Lectures on the Law and the Gospel. Um, I'm basically giving you the chapter titles of this book. It's excellent. But anyway, he tells, talks about the law in the first half. And what, the only things that the law can do, the law can convict us. The law can condemn us. And then interestingly, through those things, the law can guide us to Christ. And then after salvation, it can be the Christian's rule or measure of or maybe a guide of life. And then the law can be used as confirmation of one's salvation. Those are a number of things that it can do, but there's one very specific and important thing that the law cannot do. The law cannot save us. 
I mean, it, it, it could if we were perfect, but we know from Genesis 3, all of us were born in sin, and we all believe that we are children of wrath, that no one had to tell us, no one has to tell a small child how to sin, we just do. And so since none of us can keep the law perfectly, those are the only things that the law can and will do to us. They will convict and condemn. And so as Paul writes this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, he knows he could never find it there now. He used to try to find it there. In fact, he strived and he strived and he strived and he just gave us a description of exactly how he tried. But it's worthless. He never could have been able to. So he writes this next clause of the sentence. But I want a but I write I want to be found in Christ having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so we see here what the gospel does. Remember, I said there are a whole bunch of things the law does, but the one thing it can't do is the one thing that the gospel does do. It saves. And those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. And where does this faith come from? He tells us. It doesn't come from ourselves that no man can boast. But it, it's faith in Christ that comes, that the righteousness from God that depends on faith. All of this, this righteousness, this righteousness by faith, he tells us, comes from God. And then he gets now to, I think, remember I said we want to have this whole heading over that was coming next in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. He has this short little clause and then he finishes that main heading that I may know him. I think I have a pretty, um, pretty basic question, a simple question. Do you know him? Do you know him in a way that which God tells us, do you know him in a way that actually knows him? Or do you, do you, yeah, I know God. In fact, I go to church. In fact, I was at Bible study on Thursday morning. Uh, I went to college Bible study and uh, I made sure I got my, uh, my weekly prayer list and checklist in. Or do you know him in a way that, that God has designed us to know him. Do you know him through faith by looking only to Jesus? Do you, look him, do you know him by, by not trusting on yourself, not trusting on what Paul here is saying, the circumcision, but do you realize that the people who are part of the circumcision are the people of God, the people who are trusting in faith in Christ? And so, verse 10, I'm going to read again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So he does want to know two things. He wants to know God. He wants to know him. And he wants to know the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I think that um, this is something, this second and the power of his resurrection. This is something that we don't, think about a ton. Maybe we should think about a little bit more. How often do we consider not only Christ, but consider the power of the resurrection, the power that 
God has to conquer death. That after Jesus died on the cross for all of our, all of our sins, he was raised up, defeating death. Death killed death. Because Paul makes the argument here that in knowing him, in having a righteousness that comes from God through faith, I will know him and I will know the power of his resurrection. And in that, in that knowledge and in that strength of his power, I may share in his sufferings. Uh, there's so, how, how often do we tell us that, uh, man, I love that Christ shares in my suffering. I'm suffering so much right now. I love that Christ, share, Christ shares in it, so that's comforting. And that is. I'm not trying to take away that. But ultimately, I think Paul's telling us that we share in the sufferings of Christ. That Christ came as a man and he suffered. And as Christians, we are invited to share in that. Sometimes that feels a little less comforting, but we know that something that that our God has ordained and our God has designed for us to do, that we would share in the sufferings of Christ and we would be conformed like him. And that's what he says here, is becoming like him in his death. I've already alluded to this, but I, th- I think this in his death phrase, it can be interpreted a couple of ways, but I, I think it's referring back to that passage in Philippians 2, referring to the manner in which Christ was obedient. He was obedient to the point of death. So I think here Paul is telling us that I would become like him, that I would share in his sufferings, even if it means to the point of death. And for Paul, it will. Uh, And so, uh, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead. Um, Are you... Are we as a church willing to say by any means possible, I will follow after Christ. I will attain life, salvation, a relationship with Jesus. Are we willing to say that by any means possible, by whatever it takes, no matter the cost, no matter what I have to give up, no matter the amount of reputation and the stakes that it involves, I will go for Jesus and I will follow him and look to him and not turn away. Jake's final words in his sermon last week were this. He says, is your confidence in nothing other than Jesus and what he did on the cross? Church, that's what Paul is getting at here. Because if your hope is in anything else other than Jesus and what he did on the cross, whatever you're hoping on is not going to work. And so I, I hope you, you are trusting in Christ. Guys, I I hope and I pray that you would not be distracted by the extra things. You would not be distracted by your checklist. You would not try to become the ideal Baptist, but completely miss the point of Christ and forget to look to him. So as we go out and finish our week, or begin our week, um, there's a lot of little things that you might be able to do. There's a lot of little things, and those are good things. In fact, like I was trying to say, Paul says that the Christian life is one that is of obedience, that we would follow Christ 
in the same manner as he lived and that was in obedience to the Father. So do those things out of obedience, but only out of obedience through faith in Jesus. If your faith isn't on him and what he did on the cross, then it's worthless. Thank you, guys, and let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Lord, we love you. Lord, you are our only hope. There is absolutely nothing else that we can put our trust in, that we can bank on. There is absolutely no amount of credentials or zeal or passion that we can have that will save us. So God, we thank you for Christ and we thank you for this Christmas season where we can look and celebrate the coming of a Savior who through nothing else but grace offers his salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen.